Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show. This is your host, Father Daniel. I am, no surprise, a Chaldean Catholic priest. And today we have a pretty fiery episode. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. Please keep listening and don't forget to rate this podcast episode. It would really help out. All right, why don't we get started? You know, I'm just not going to talk about the Padres. It's just unfortunate, and I'm not going to talk about it. What's that saying? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, I'm going to use that right now. I'm not going to say anything about the Padres at all. Let's talk about something more important, right? This weekend, we celebrated the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. That's pretty cool, right? I was thinking this weekend, so there was a lot of preparation needed for the Feast of the Assumption. We had a big carnival at church, we had a barbecue, we had a procession, a bunch of things to prepare for. Um, And what I was thinking about was what it would be like to be one of the parishioners during feasts like this, because us priests were so used to, you know, very fast-paced lives and uh, preparation, so on and so forth. And during the actual uh, mass and procession, whatever it may be, you're you know making sure everything's running smoothly, accordingly. Random people don't um, you know disrupt the already made uh, schedule and program you already have. So I was thinking about that, and that sort of turned on the light bulb for me to think about that, okay, even though things can be so fast-paced, you just, at some point, you need to leave the rest to God, you know, because as I was worrying about, you know, making sure the parish council made way for the procession, and the kid doesn't trip when he's carrying um, one of the icons and whatever, so on and so forth, you know, to focus, to be in the moment, and to actually understand what we're processing for. You know, and in this case, it was the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. And that's pretty cool, right? Mary was assumed into heaven, both body and soul. And look, I'm just going to plug the rosary right now. If you don't pray the rosary, you should really consider praying the rosary. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to go to hell if you don't pray the rosary, but you're going to go to hell if you... No, I'm joking. Um, But it's really useful, you know, and I would never tell you to do something that I know would harm you, right? How much harm could a rosary do? Okay, you might be bored for a little bit for the first couple times you pray it. Okay, it might start seeming like a burden in your life, but you will get over that, trust me. So, as I always do, I'm going to be commenting on the Basilica Hymn According to the Chaldean liturgy, a basilica hymn is typically said during evening prayer. Just to recap, I haven't mentioned this in a while, and if any of you forgot what the basilica hymn is. So it's usually said during evening prayer on Saturdays and weekdays, but Saturdays um, have a distinct basilica hymn for each liturgical week. And now we're in the week of repentance. So This is the sixth Sunday of repentance, and it says this. This is a pretty long one, so actually all of 
almost all of the Basilica hymns for the season of repentance are pretty long, but okay, you'll get through it, don't worry. You could 2x me right now if you want. Seize henceforth, O you who are hateful in her manners, and be not a trap for others. Remember that condemnation is prepared for the wicked and for those who commit adultery and speak impiously. O you whose soul is defiled with evils, consider that torturous world that does not pass away, to which you are inviting your soul and your body, that they may go and inherit darkness, whose fire never fades. Repent and plead for the one who is abounding in mercies, that he may forgive your wrongdoings, and you will be saved from the violence of torture. And implore God that he may take away the weakness of your thoughts and have mercy on you. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? A central theme for this Basilica hymn, no surprise, is the reality of hell. And let's talk about that because hell seems like a topic that's being shied away from. People don't like to talk about hell. And maybe the last time you actually spoke about hell was maybe at a Bible study, the priest was talking about it, or you experienced a death in the family or someone you knew, and then that sort of triggers something in your mind to think about hell, maybe for a couple minutes, maybe for a day, maybe for a week, who knows. But the Chaldean liturgy speaks about hell in an interesting way. So typically, we, when we think of hell, we probably think of a fiery environment with the color of red everywhere and Satan running around with a pitchfork, causing people to suffer unceasingly. But the Chaldean liturgy says this. It says, consider that torturous world that does not pass away. First, this Basilica hymn is saying that hell is eternal. Then it goes on to say, to which you are inviting your soul and your body. So the Chaldean liturgy is also saying that going to hell is an act of the will. That you may go and inherit darkness. Okay, we see darkness there. Whose fire never fades. Now we see an emphasis on this place of torment being eternal. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But before I do, I want to turn to something else from the Chaldean liturgy that speaks about hell. So this is from the daily morning prayer. It says this. So this is a hymn from Mar Abraham of Nithpar. He's a Chaldean church father. He says, the evil will be suffering and the door of mercies will be shut, end quote. So he's also adding to this reality of hell being eternal. Okay, let's get to the bottom of this. What is hell? And does hell exist? And is hell eternal? What is the very essence of hell? And why would God permit people to go to hell? So in order to answer all of these questions, we need to first build a foundation. So, 
the foundation is this. So what historical evidence is there that there is a hell? So in Hebrew, hell is Gehenna. In Aramaic, it's Gehenna. And in Arabic, it's Jahannam. I don't know why I just gave you all those translations. But in the Hebrew, Gehenna means, and this is definitely not a laughing matter, okay? So in Hebrew, Gehenna means, literally translates to, Valley of the Son of Hinnom. Now, this valley was really famous and had a very evil reputation because it was the location of an adulterous cult that performed human sacrifices. And we see in the Old Testament, we see this in Jeremiah 7, how Jeremiah cursed this place for being a place of evil. And we even see this in Isaiah, Isaiah 66. He says that the rebels who are against the Lord will go to this place, will go to the valley of the son of Hinnom. And then in the Old Testament, you see this word Gehenna being used 12 times. And we start to see how it's synonymous to hell, to what hell is. So we see these terms being used. And we also see Jesus giving imagery to eternal damnation of how there will be a quenching fire, of how there will be grinding of teeth. But then what we start to see later on in the late 18th century, we start to see a heresy called universalism, who claim to know by the very fact that all people will be saved. And this heresy claims to have certainty that hell is empty. But we'll see how this goes contrary to church teaching. So in Catechism, paragraph 1035, it says the, tr- the teaching of the church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell, where they suffer the punishments of hell, quote-unquote, eternal fire. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God, in whom alone man can possess a life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. And then we see Jesus during his ministry saying that the door to heaven is narrow, to eternal life is narrow, but the door to iniquity is wide and many will go. And I really don't want to spend too much time on this heresy, but from the looks of it, one of the reasons why this heresy became so popular is it gives people a reason to not care. It gives people the reason to not be held accountable for their actions because it's a wrong question to ask why God would send someone to hell. Because God doesn't send people to hell. It's a wrong question to ask why God would create hell. Because if we're not living in eternal happiness with God in heaven, then the opposite of that would have to be to live in eternal damnation. And eternal damnation means, because you also see this in the catechism, It's an act of the free will of a person, which is why we could come to the conclusion 
that hell can be occupied. Someone can go to hell because they send themselves there. Rejection of God is an invitation to eternal damnation. I mean, why do you think, you could even look at this very practically. Why are priests rushing to hospitals when people are on their dying bed? Rushing, stopping everything and going to anoint that person who's dying to make sure they receive anointing of the sick, to make sure they receive confession, communion, and anointing. Obviously, confession if they could uh, hear and speak and communion if they're able to uh, eat. But regardless, they receive the anointing. And why is it that priests rush this? Why is it that that is first priority for everything? I mean, I could tell you a hundred stories right now of how many times I've had to stop everything to go rush to the hospital or to a hospice care center or whatever it may be to go anoint someone. It's because there is a possibility for the human person to enter into eternal damnation. And I can't tell you how many miraculous cases I've had where someone lives in obviously uh, and publicly sinful life and at their deathbed you see them repent and you see them accept the grace of God. And obviously that's not an excuse or should not be a way of life for people to say, I'm just going to live my life and when I uh, when I'm dying, I'll just have a priest come and anoint me and I'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. You can't play gotcha with God, right? Now, what would hell be like? So some saints have seen visions of hell. Some people who are not saints that are still living have, you know, seen visions. I've read about a bunch of different events that happen where people saw this vision or when they're in surgery or when they're sleeping in a dream and or whatever it may be. And these things, I mean, I'm not going to deem them false, you know, because who knows, but we can't build on something that um, has to do with the cognitive behavior of a person. But what we can do is look at what the church teaches, what the magisterium gives us, and build off of that. So we understand that a person has both a body and a soul, and a soul which is eternal, and a soul which will be judged instantaneously at the moment of death. Now, what does that mean? That means if you're judged, you see God face to face. And if you're judged as worthy to be with God for all of eternity, then so be it. But if you're judged to eternal damnation, that's what makes eternal damnation is you were just face-to-face with the very essence of goodness. You were just face-to-face with the very meaning of love. You were face-to-face with love itself. And eternal damnation means whatever you just saw at that moment of judgment, you are the furthest away from. And for all of eternity, will never be close to that. That's what makes Hell, hell, I guess. Now, this brings me towards the second part of the Basilica hymn, where the author says, Repent and plead from the one who is abounding in mercies, that he may forgive your wrongdoings, and you will be saved 
from the violence of torture and implore God that he may take away the weakness of your thoughts and have mercy on you. So the author is highlighting two things here. He's highlighting repentance and seeking forgiveness as well as imploring God. Seeking forgiveness is never too late. And God is always waiting in the confessional for sinners to present to him their sins and walk away blameless. But okay, how could this happen? How could one have the courage to be able to go to the confessional, tell a priest their sins, and walk away back in unity with God? It's, a second, it's the last part of that Basilica hymn where the author says to implore God. When we show God our vulnerability, when we show him our weaknesses, he takes that and strengthens it according to what he sees as appropriate to each person. So I know my analysis on hell was pretty short, but I'm limited, obviously, on time on this podcast. I feel like I say that every time. Okay, there will basically never be enough time. So um, that's why I always tell you, if you have any follow-up questions, you can reach out to me on social media or whatever it may be. But without further ado, it's time for the Lion's Den. So for the past month, yeah, I think it's been like a month, I've been getting contacted by many people asking me if I can write them a letter that states that the COVID vaccination goes against the Catholic religion and therefore they would like to be exempt from it. Now, I'm not going to go through the different arguments that people have been presenting with uh, the vaccinations being derived from aborted fetus cells and what have you, or they're chipping us with 5G network, whatever it may be, but I'm just going to refer you to what the church teaches, because the catechism says that the conscience of a person should be guided by the church, by what the church teaches, and the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith came out with a very detailed and comprehensive list as to why the vaccinations, the COVID vaccinations, do not go against the Catholic Church, that do not go against our religion. And I encourage you to simply Google it and find that and read it for yourself. And again, if you have any follow-up questions, you know where to find me. So that's my episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, see you next time.